Welcome into the Ots and Audibles podcast. I'm Matt Prem. Eric Scopel is with me as always. And before we dive into this Friday edition of the Ots and Audibles previewing Oregon at USC, I want to just remind all of you out there who are subscribers of DuckTerritory.com and those who are maybe on the fence about it. Uh, we've just were able to get a really good promotion. Uh, it's not even a promotion. It, it's just an add-on. Uh, by subscribing to DuckTerritory.com, you get all access uh, for free to the streaming platform CBS All Access. Uh, it, it's now included in your 24-7 sports VIP membership at no additional cost. Watch all your favorite shows on demand along with exclusive access to your favorite 24-7 sports team sites and experts stream over 10,000 episodes, all-access originals, and live TV, including NFL on CBS, the SEC Game of the Week. And you can enjoy the CBS All-Access commercial-free plan, which comes with a $99.99 annual value for the lifetime of your 24-7 sports VIP membership. Essentially, subscribe to DuckTerritory.com, and you get CBS's streaming service for free. Uh, you, there, there's just another reason why you need to, uh, jump on board, uh, supporting us. And as a reward for that, we can hook you up with some awesome content with CBS. So, uh, Eric, it's a Friday. It's a USC football game. There's, I, I think as we get closer and closer to this football game, I get more and more fired up to get down there more so because it's cold as hell here in Eugene, uh, <laughs> But also, it's it's getting that feel of a big football game in which there's a lot on the line for both teams. Yeah, I'll be honest. I've been going back and forth all week between if I think Oregon's going to win this game or not, and we'll obviously do our predictions at the end of the show. And I'll say this right now. I'm not, like, fully decided. I'm going to be kind of making a, a judgment call at the end because I, I just think this is this game has the potential to be a classic. And, and Oregon's played now two straight against the Washington schools that were absolute instant classics. I wouldn't be surprised at all uh, if this game against Southern California has the same feel because I I just think both teams – this means a ton, like you said, to both teams. I mean, both teams can still win their divisions. Oregon, obviously, is in great position. USC has a lot more riding on this game, if you will, but I don't think that means a thing for Oregon. Oregon should not have a motivation issue at all. For a lot of these guys, you know, they're going back home, you know, to play in front of family, to potentially play against a school that either A, they chose Oregon or they could have chosen Oregon over, or B, that kind of didn't give them a look, and that maybe that's an extra motivating factor for some of these kids to go back and prove that they were deserving of an opportunity to play at USC. So uh, a ton on the line, you're right. And, and I think just in terms of the styles of both teams, like the potential just to be a really fun game to watch. Yeah. I mean, USC is going to throw the ball a ton. They've got incredible wide receiver talent. Uh, Oregon. If you're an Oregon fan, obviously you enjoy you enjoy watching. I hope you enjoy watching this Oregon football team. Um, so I, I think the possibility for for a really fun game. And again, because of how banged up USC is at a couple key spots defensively, I think it's going to be a pretty high scoring game too. So uh, yeah, we'll talk about more of the specifics of the podcast. But I'm with you, Matt. I think this is going to be a really fun game and potentially a kind of season defining game because, like we've said earlier in the week. Uh, pretty good chance Oregon runs the table if they win this game. This is, I think, they're really the last big test. So you get by this one, there's a pretty decent chance Oregon ends up 9-0 and in Pac-12 play and becomes the first team to do that in Pac- since they became the Pac-12 uh, and, and since 2010 when Oregon in the Pac-10 uh, did so. So, again, a lot on the line. I think the biggest, from an Oregon perspective, uh, the biggest concern, the biggest wonder is what's the status of Troy Dye, Oregon senior linebacker, their, their leader on the defensive side of the football. Uh, I think it was pretty evident that he was not, when he, when he was not on the field against Washington State, we saw how important he was, especially in the air raid. Um, Mario Cristobal said this week on Monday, and then he said it again on Wednesday that Troy Dye has practiced. Troy Dye is healthy. Troy Dye will play. Now he's been he has been extremely confident and definitive in both of those days' statements. Uh, I will say though that at the same time, last week you know he kind of made it out that Troy Dye was okay to play, and lo and behold, Saturday night shows up and he's in a sweatshirt, not suited up. 
it would make sense if it wasn't USC that this would be a week to rest die again because there's the bye week afterwards. That's a natural progression where, hey, you could give him three weeks without playing a game in the, you know, the, the hardest part of the season and you have then three games at the back end of the schedule for him to heal up. But this is USC. And, and I would imagine if he's 85% there or maybe, maybe even slightly lower, maybe if he's 75% there, he's going to give it a try. And, uh, we, I think he has a pink cast on his, on his hand. So uh, we, we did see him leaving practice. Looked like he was practicing. Uh, I think it was on Tuesday or Wednesday we saw him leaving practice in pads with the cast on. So there, that should be a sign that he's at least giving it a go. And that's what Cristobal has said has taken place all week. Um, I personally would expect him to play, but like Matt said, I expected, I, I didn't think there was much doubt he was going to play against Washington State. And lo and behold, like you said, he didn't suit up and we found out right before kickoff. So, it could be some gamesmanship here where maybe die, maybe the injury is a little worse than we think, or maybe there's another injury too. Maybe it's not just that the thumb, maybe there's something else going on here. Uh, and they're going to treat this sort of like they did with Jawan Johnson where it was, Oh yeah, he should be good. Oh, it's getting close. It's game. It's going to be a kind of a game time decision. And, and then he doesn't play. And, and the next time you see him is when they, they face Arizona uh, in a couple of weeks, but uh, all indications, at least from what Cristobal said, if you want to take it at face value, are that we should expect to see Troy die and his brother Travis die um, on the field on Saturday against USC. I, I'm curious. Also, we should also note that Travis die, uh, yeah. he should be good to go as well. Uh, Mario Cristobal said that that one was right after the game was over. He said that you know, he saw Travis in the locker room and was totally fine. Uh, it, it looked like it was a, it was he was being evaluated, and, and I think in the year and a half now of covering head coach Mario Cristobal, uh, being evaluated is code for he suffered either a concussion or we think he may have had a concussion. He was involved in a, a targeting call in the first half, didn't return in the second half uh, against the Washington State Cougars. Um, but Herbert said, or Herbert uh, Cristobal said that that die should be good to go. So you, you'll get your you're starting kickoff returner back and you'll also get, uh, you're starting one of your starting inside linebackers back for, uh, the USC game. Now there really isn't any other injuries out there that are kind of lingering that, you know, have, un, you know, an unknown outcome for this weekend's game. And so I think the next obvious question becomes what, how can us or how can Oregon create some kind of pass rush and is that even a concern right now because I feel like since Gus Cumberlander has gone out uh for with his season ending injury what was it against California uh late in that football game um Oregon has not been able to get the same kind of pass rush that they have the previous games now maybe you you can explain this a little bit more Eric is that a correlation of just hey they're playing better talent like the the next few games that they've played was Colorado. Well, yeah, they're not very good. Uh, and they were able to get to Montez. Uh, but then against Washington, you know, they're a, a, one of the better teams in the conference. And then against Washington State, while the record doesn't say it, they are one of the better offenses in the country or in the conference. Yeah, I wrote a story on the site, uh, a, a scopal system. So this is a VIP only story, but I'll give some bullet points here just just for the podcast. But, yeah, the, the, there has been a significant correlation between getting after the quarterback uh, and, and kind of defending the pass. I, I ran through the numbers here. You know, there's two ways that you measure pressure on, on just basic statistics. There's sacks and there's quarterback hurries. And Oregon had between six and ten of those uh, statistics for each of those first six games. In fact, they had more than eight in all but the, uh, the Montana game. Uh, they actually had a season-high ten against Colorado, and that was the game after Gus went down. So uh, I, I think this is I, – I don't want to diminish Gus's absence. I think that's probably a part of it. But, you know, against California, they also had four sacks, and Gus missed most of that game, and two of those came from Thibodeau. Um, and then you see a huge drop-off from those eight to ten quarterback hurries and quarterback sack com- combination stat down to one against Washington and then five against Washington State, and then you see the quarterback rating just skyrocket. I mean, they, no quarterback had a, a rating above 96 uh, in those previous games, and both Gordon and Eason had a quarterback rating over 150 the last two weeks. So there, I think there is a pretty clear correlation, and I think I think it is both Oregon-related 
as well as it is opposing talent related. I, I do think the, the Cumberlander thing has been an issue, and I do think the fact that you face Washington and Washington State, who are are really, really good pass offenses that have really good quarterbacks that are very decisive. Like, Washington State is just really hard to get after. I mean, they might attempt, yeah. the more, they attempt more passes than anyone in the country, but they are sacked, like, at almost the lowest rate. I mean, I think actually per pass attempt, their sack numbers are the, the lowest in the country. It's not even that close. Like, they just don't get touched that much. So, USC is a different animal. Uh, they've struggled at times protecting Keaton Slovis. Um, Keaton Slovis, we should mention, has had difficulty in big moments this year in terms of against Washington and against BYU. He didn't didn't have great stats in those games. Didn't play very well. So I do think it's on the table for for Oregon to get a little bit more pressure on USC. I think they're seventh in the Pac-12 in terms of protecting the quarterback, and of course they haven't faced Oregon yet and. That could potentially skew the numbers a little bit because Oregon is leading the conference in quarterback sacks still, despite just having um, a combined four the last three weeks. Um, you know, they didn't have eight quarterback hurries against Colorado, but only two resulted in sacks. So um, it's going to be interesting, and I think that's absolutely one of the keys. It has to be because USC has the the dudes to go make plays, and there's no question about it. You go watch the tape. I mean, th- th- we've said it all week, and and it's. It maybe doesn't even need to be repeated again, but they're going to challenge Oregon with their receivers. So if they can make things difficult on the true freshman quarterback, I think that is a huge, huge benefit in their favor. If they can do it, if they can't, uh, like Cristobal said earlier this week, you can't make it be like it's seven-on-seven football because these quarterbacks and these receivers are just way too good to, to yep. kind of allow them to sit back there and pick everybody apart. I think the obvious um, way Oregon can – or the, the person who has the best impact probably on creating a pass rush uh, for Oregon and, and getting to the quarterback, I, I think it's going to have to fall on Mace Funa, right? Like, he had the sack against Washington State uh, last week. He's fifth in the conference in total sacks with four. Uh, Oregon's next closest guy is Kayvon Thibodeau with two and a half. And then Popo Amave has two, and he's he's third on the team in sacks. Um, it's going to have to fall on 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 Mace Funa, Kayvon Thibodeau, and probably Lamar Winston too, right? Yeah, I think it's funny to think about <laughs> that the pass rush relies upon two true freshmen, but it kind of feels that way, right? Um, uh, Lamar Winston has played a little bit like with his hand down. He's also played obviously standing up where he normally would be, and, and all those guys come off the edge and, and are kind of your primary pass rushers, along with, you know, Drayton Carlberg and Austin Falu and Popo Amave and those guys with their, who are, you know, three-down linemen. Um, it, it's going to be interesting to see how they do it. I think one thing is, like, will Oregon bring more pressure? Because I think against Washington State, they were pretty content just to bring, you know, maybe three or four rushers and drop everyone else into coverage. I wonder if we'll see them be slightly more aggressive against USC. I don't know if that's they, if that's the right move though, because that's what, that's what I'm saying. I, I don't know because because yeah, because then you take, then you have one or two less guys out there in coverage. Um, not to cut you off there, Matt. You you have no, spot no. on, and that's that's what I was going to say is that it just creates that the difficulty of covering these receivers in which. Let's be real; they're very very good, and I'm not exactly sure that that you can ask your opponent. Or you can you can ask Oregon's DBs to, you know, if 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 USC is able to pick up the blitz and give Slovis four seconds to throw the ball, he'll carve you up, and that, that and that's the risk you have to take, no matter the opponent. But I think this week in, in particular, of it's there's going to be a fine line between balancing of how many guys do you bring and how many guys do you drop back, because if you if you bring the house. All it takes is a missed tackle, and, and they're going to score a touchdown. And that's what we saw against Utah with USC was they they were and I think even we should say Ryan Abram from the USC website yesterday on yesterday's podcast talked about how Utah's strategy was pretty stubborn. They continued to bring a lot of pressure and didn't have a lot of guys back, and the result was just USC carving them up through the pass. So yeah, maybe it is just a we're just going to have to manufacture quarterback pressure with our three or four guys with just, you know, you got to put it, you got to put a hand in the dirt and beat your guy. And it's going to have to be one-on-one battles. And that's what's going to come down to. And Oregon's going to have to find a way to win those. 
against a pretty talented USC offensive line. Other than some injuries there, um, I, I know that hasn't been quite the same level of recruiting uh, as they have in like skill positions and at linebacker and basically everywhere else on that team if you run down the roster. But um, maybe that's what it comes down to. Maybe, maybe it is. Can Kayvon Thibodeau beat the left tackle off the edge? Can Lamar Winston, you know, make his way through that line? Can Mace Funa, uh, you know, collapse the pocket? Can yeah? Can Jordan Scott get pressure up the middle and force Slovis to to you know move left or right? So, um, and, and maybe that's what it is. And, and if that's the case. That's a ton of pressure on a couple of individuals, and, and we'll have to see if those guys can step up and make the plays. This is the the last time Morgan went down to USC was in 2016. Uh, the Ducks, I believe, at the time were three and five going into that one. They were one and four in conference play. They lost 45 to 20. Uh, it was one of Justin Herbert's first starts uh, in his career. He was 18 of 33 for 162 yards and one touchdown. He averaged just 4.9 yards uh, per completion. It was not a very good game offensively. He had a QBR rating of just 21.3. And eventually uh, in the fourth quarter when the game had gotten out of hand, uh, Oregon actually swapped him out and, and put it into Dakota Prukop. And it wasn't like they weren't happy with Herbert and they wanted to see what Prukop did. It was just game's over, get him out so he doesn't get hurt, put Prukop back in and give the senior some run. And, it was a game in which Oregon also couldn't run the football. 30 carries, 85 yards, and two touchdowns. Uh, and that was a, a game in which Royce Freeman had 10 carries for 38 yards. No scores. Nelson had one touchdown of 25 yards on the ground. Prukop had another, uh, on an eight yard, or 15 yard run for, for a touchdown. And, you know, Taj Griffin was a running back on that team. Kanai Benoit was a running back on that team. Tony Brooks James was a running back on that team. Uh, not a lot of experience. Um, from a skill position wise standpoint from this Oregon football team offensively, uh, up front along the offensive line, a lot of those guys are back. Everyone's back essentially. Uh, and a couple of those players told me this week that that was another one of those baptism by fire type of games in which they really learned the struggles and the grind and you know, how to, what it's going to take to go in and win a big football game in a big environment like that. And now they're hoping that this year's team is the experienced group and one that, you know, they've gone through the rigors of a college football season. They've played in every stadium. They know how to handle it. They know the preparations that's needed. And, and quite frankly, you know, every team's a little bit young, but USC's defense in particular has a ton of young guys. And, and so I, I, I really kind of keep going back to this football game of, this is one in which Oregon is the more physical team, the the bigger team, and the more experienced team up front when it's offensive Oregon versus defensive USC. And I just keep going back to to that as being a big deciding factor for me. I, I agree. Um, Oregon should be able to win at the line of scrimmage in this game, um, especially if someone like Drake Jackson uh, is and out who's been a, a huge part for USC up front defensively. It looks like, uh, they're getting some players back up front. Uh, Christian Rector will play against Oregon. It sounds like he's one of those defensive linemen. Um, it's, it's, it's going to be interesting to see though. I, I, I really think USC still, despite the fact that, and, and maybe, maybe I'm just giving USC so much credit because I respect the talent that they have there. I, I still just think it's going to be tough at times to, to just rely entirely on the run game. I think they should uh, start there. They should absolutely start by trying to develop the run against USC because statistically, I've said it all week, they're, they're not great there. They, they've, they average, they allow about 190 yards per game on the ground. So it's not like this is a group that's like, this isn't Utah or, or, or even Oregon in terms of those are the top two rush defenses in the Pac-12 right now. Um, this is a group that has struggled at times there, but I do think, Despite how good Oregon has been, they've also had games where they just haven't haven't had a ton of success up front, and and, and maybe they've figured those things out because it seemed, those issues seem to be, you know, especially against Stanford, um, they had a really hard time running the football. There were times against Auburn that was also the case, but Auburn's a totally different animal than what we're, what you're seeing with USC. So uh, I agree though in terms of like Oregon should be favored up front, and and I think that's where it has to start for Oregon. Like I, again, the best case scenario for me, and it feels sort of counterintuitive considering. Uh, what historically Oregon has been, I really think the best case scenario in a game like this is like 
you just pound the rock all day and you limit the number of possessions USC gets. You limit their big play. Maybe you don't, maybe, maybe, yeah, maybe you don't bring a lot of pressure and you just keep every, try to keep everything in front of you, avoid the big plays, hopefully get a couple of mistakes from Slovis, um, a couple of three and outs here and there and you win a ball game that's not super high scoring. Um, but where you just can totally control the tempo on the ground and you play ball control and you just run it and you run it and run it until they can stop it. And if they don't stop it at all, you end up kind of just steamrolling over them. I think that's maybe the, maybe kind of the game plan here because I, I don't think you want to necessarily get in a shootout. I, I don't, I don't think that's best case because if it turns into, you know, Oregon trying to throw the ball up the field at the same pace as what USC is going to be doing, that certainly favors USC. You're listening to the Odds and Audibles podcast. I'm at Premier Eric Scopel. Let's take a quick break. All right, welcome back to the Odds and Audibles podcast. I'm at Prem. Eric Scopel is with me as always. And you mentioned it at the top of the show. We've gone into this one, and, and I've made my pick. I know what I'm going to be doing with predictions and when we get to those here in a little bit. But you said going in that, you still have been flipping and flopping. I don't know where you're at since we've started the show. We're 20 minutes in, but what's the holdup for you? Like what, I guess what's the, what's those things that, that are making you conflicted on picking a score? I, I could just see the talent rising to the top for USC because USC really, really wants this game. And I don't think we talked about it, um, with Ryan a little bit yesterday, just in terms of like USC on paper, according to 24 seven sports has the fourth most talented roster. I know some of that roster is banged up and unavailable in this game. There's like multiple five stars that aren't available for due to injury or I think in a couple of cases other things. So there, there, there is maybe a, maybe that's some that's being cut out a little bit in terms of the edge there. But like I could see a scenario here where USC just out, outguns Oregon and they're just a little bit more talented that most of a handful of spots and Really, I think the big concern to me would be like we see a repeat of what we've seen these last couple of weeks against the pass and Slovis and these receivers just move the ball up and down the field and Oregon is able to kind of, you know, they, they hold serve. I, I don't think Oregon gets steamrolled or blown out in this game. I'll put it that way. Not at all. I, I, I think this game is going to be close regardless of who wins. But there, to me, there's a possibility of. USC has a ton of success throwing the ball. Oregon, again, can't really find a way to stop it. Oregon is able to run the ball effectively, but they aren't able to keep pace with USC. And I do think we've seen, you know, Oregon, especially these last handful of weeks, have and maybe all season, just have kind of a hard time in the red zone of converting points into touchdowns or, or drives into touchdowns. Um, touchdowns become points. I should clarify that point. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not trying to rewrite the rules of football, but... Uh, but but the point remains like I, I this is a game where you end up kicking a ton of field goals and and, and maybe you, and I think you do feel more comfortable now after you've seen Camden Lewis hit five in a row like it, you get down there I think you, you you do give them a shot but if it becomes a game where Oregon's kicking field goals and USC scoring touchdowns obviously that again math does not favor Oregon in that sure scenario. sure I, I I I certainly am with you on the talent perspective because this is a game in which look USC's fourth. They're the fourth best team in college football based off of the 24-7 composite roster breakdowns that we have. You know, there, there's only three, three teams that have more talent on paper than what USC does. And so that's, you know, that's always going to be an issue for anyone that plays this USC team. Um, Oregon though, they're not necessarily a slouch. I don't think they're out there looking at it like, you know, they don't have talent in themselves because they do. They're 17th in that same ranking. You know, but USC has more four-star players. They have more five-star recruits on their on their roster, which is naturally going to be the case. Um, I, I just think I I keep going back to a when USC has played uh, good opponents this season, and they're they they have one win this season against an opponent that I would view as a, a quality opponent, and that's the Utah Utes, which is a huge huge win. I mean, they were top ten at the time. Uh, they still are in the top 10, uh, and USC won that football game, uh, 30 to 23 at home. And so, it, you know, you could honestly go back and say, well, if they replicate what they did in that football game, then yeah, they should, they should be able to, to win again. Um, but I go back to that football game and it was one in which USC really kind of had no business winning, right? Like 
Utah ran for 250 yards and a touchdown. Tyler Huntley threw for 210 and a touchdown. Didn't throw an interception. Um, and it and it was it was uh, fumbles and it was some just some some fluke type things uh, to create the situation that that it was and, and that Utah lost that football game. I mean USC marched right down the field, scored a touchdown, but then you know in the first quarter Utah matched it and 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 with a five play seventy five yard drive like it was nothing and then. Uh, they had the big play from Amon Ross St. Brown for a touchdown in the first quarter, 14 to 7. Second quarter, USC, uh, does not score. Utah adds a field goal to go into half, trailing 14 to 10. And then, you know, they had the Micah Pittman 77 yard touchdown play. Uh, Utah scored another touchdown on a, a, a turnover, I believe. Uh, and then in the fourth quarter, uh, there was a safety. Um, I'm pretty sure Utah missed, uh, a, a, a couple field goals, I want to say, late. Late in that football game, or maybe it was just one. They went three of four. Um, but Utah left some points on the board, I think. And that's how the Trojans walked out of that game with a 30 to 23 win. And I keep going back to the games that they've played against good competition. Oregon's been able basically to, to create, or their opponents have been able to create turnovers against the Trojans. Uh, Against Washington, Slovis threw three interceptions, and the Huskies ran for 193 yards and scored three touchdowns. Uh, against BYU, Slovis threw three interceptions uh, in that game, and, and they lost in overtime, 30 to 27. Uh, you look at the Notre Dame game; they didn't commit any turnovers uh, in that football game, uh, but they could not stop the run. Notre Dame ran for 48 times and 308 yards and two touchdowns. You know, their, their primary running back, Tony Jones Jr. in that game, averaged seven yards per carry. Uh, I don't think Notre Dame lost a, a fumble at all as well. So, and then last week against Colorado, yes, USC won this football game, but just look at the, the stats that the Buffs put up. I mean, they had 520 yards of total offense. They ran the football for 196. They threw for 324. I mean, they carved up USC defensively. Uh, now it was on a Friday night in Boulder. You know, you have to take that into consideration, but USC only won that game 35 to 31. And I just, I'm, I'm leaning on the fact that Utah is, or USC is not healthy at all on the defensive side of the football. And they're getting Christian Rector back, a defensive end that's a senior. Really good guy, really good player for them, one of their best players defensively. But Talanoa Hafunga is probably out. Drake Jackson is probably out. They've got multiple linebackers out. I, I'm leaning on the fact that if if Oregon is if, – if Oregon's best shows up, they win this game. It, one thing about USC's resume, if you look through it, there is such a big difference between how they perform at home as opposed to on the road. Like those, the loss at was the loss to BYU was at BYU. The loss to Washington was at Washington. The loss to Notre Dame was at Notre Dame. That game against Colorado was on the road. They're one and three on the road this year, but they are four and zero at home. And obviously, this game is played at USC. I think that's part of it too. They've they've, they've just been pretty darn good at home and. Uh, they beat Stanford by 25. We mentioned the Utah win. They beat Arizona by 27. And I guess Stanford and Arizona, like, I, I don't know how much you want to buy into those teams. They're, you know, Stanford at least, I think, uh, probably had KJ Castell in that game. I actually don't know for sure, so I probably shouldn't say that. He might have been out for that game. I'm going to look it up really quick. But, uh, just in general, like, I, I think that for some reason they've just been a different, no, they did not have Costello against USC, so that maybe takes a little luster off that game for, for USC because it was about Stanford's top quarterback. But, um, just in general, I, I think the fact that it's down there maybe gives me reason for pause as well. They just seem like they've played a little bit better, or not a little bit, a lot better at home as opposed to on the road. All right, let's, let's dive into our bold predictions and then we'll end the, the show like we always do with our, Score predictions. Uh, I went first last time, Eric, so I'll let you go first this time. Yeah, I'm going to start out with uh, Micah Pittman has more catches and more yards than his older brother, Michael Pittman. Um, Ooh, that is very bold. Well, the reason it makes some sense is Pittman this week was talking about <laughs> the one I spoke to, the one I was able to speak to in person, which was Micah Pittman. 
the Oregon player. He, he, he said this week that he kind of, he was wanting to atone for a couple of drops last week. Like, you go back and watch the plays he didn't make. Like, it was tough diving, you know, catching. Well, he got it. pass interference on one. Uh, yeah, oh, true. And then one, yeah, one he was, like, his entire left side, right side of his body was being held by the defensive back. So, I think there's an extra motivation there. There's also the fact, also the fact that, like, I, I was a little surprised. Like, Michael Pittman leads the Pac-12 in, um, in, in receiving right now. And, and that's, not something you overlook, but like it's kind of similar to CJ how CJ Verdell leads the Pac-12 in rushing. It's just like a couple of big games. Like you look through it, he only has two 100-yard games all season. He had 156 yards against Colorado last week, and then he had the 232-yard game against Utah uh, that we talked about earlier. But like outside of that, he's got a couple of games here, like six for 28 against Fresno State, uh, four for 64 against Washington, four for 29 against Notre Dame, four for 69 against Arizona. He could have one of those games where he only does get 50 yards receiving and Micah Pittman is able to, you know, maybe he has his best game of the season and he gets 60 or 70. Um, I, I just think there's also – I'm also expecting these these young uh, Los Angeles-based kids, like the freshmen on this team, you know, Thibodeau, Pittman, Funa, uh, Mikhail Wright, those guys to really be motivated and, and wanting to play at a high level. So I think we're going to see a good Micah Pittman game. All right. I, I will open up mine. Uh, Oregon – Last week had a really good offensive performance on the ground. Uh, one of their best rushing totals the last couple of seasons. I'm going to go with the fact that Oregon will continue that trend, uh, and they will run for 275 yards or more, uh, in this football game against the USC Trojans. I just look at, I look at USC and the injuries that they've got up front and that front seven. I, I, and then you combine, you combine that with Oregon's rushing attack and what they've been able to do this season running the football. And I, I just think Oregon's going to be able to run, uh, all over this football team. I and mean, they had USC allowed 206 yards to Fresno State week one, um, 247 against Utah on 49 carries, 193 yards against Washington on 35 carries, 308 yards on 48 carries against Notre Dame. Even Arizona and Colorado put up good numbers. 142 for Arizona, 196 for Colorado. Um, this team, I think, just I, I'm looking at it, and then I, I look at Oregon's run game and what they're able to do. Uh, I, I just I'm, I'm, I'm a big believer. I'm buying into the fact that Oregon's going to be able to run the ball, uh, and they'll be able to do it at a pretty good clip in this football game and go over 275. I have a very different one. I have Oregon runs for 250 yards or more. So oh, very, that's very, very different. Very different than your 275. And we don't, yards. we don't, we don't compare notes at all. We don't ever compare notes. And as if you, what well, was it, the Washington game or the Washington State game, where it was just like every single one of our. Predictions I think it was the Washington overlap. game. Yeah, uh, I hope we don't have one of those again. But uh, yeah, I, I for a lot of what you just said, Matt, just I'll keep this short because you ran through a lot of it. USC not great against the run. Oregon has been very good. At, running the football, especially the last three weeks in particular, I think against Colorado and the Washington and Washington state games uh, really showed that they could run it at a high level. I think we see that carry over again this week. My second one, uh, it's going to be a familiar one. I've kind of said this the last couple of weeks It came true uh, last week when, or it did not come true last week because uh, Herbert did not throw a touchdown pass, but it did come True two weeks ago when, uh, Herbert did it with Micah Pittman. Um, I, I think Justin Herbert is going to have another game in which he throws a touchdown pass to a new name that he has not thrown a touchdown pass to this season. Uh, he, he has done that a couple times already. Most recently, Micah Pittman, um, was the guy that, that got it. Uh, but I, I think Herbert's going to push that streak to, I think, 36 new players. And I think it's going to go to Josh Delgado. I think Delgado, a Southern California kid. He's played in some, he's played in every game pretty much for Oregon, but I think he's gonna, he's gonna be the benefactor of some attention going to Juwan Johnson, uh, or maybe Juwan Johnson catches his touchdown. Maybe that's what I need to do. Juwan Johnson, yeah, I'm gonna change it. Mid, mid, mid pick. Juwan Johnson catches his touchdown pass out of Oregon and becomes the next guy, uh, that Herbert throws a touchdown pass to. I'm going the complete opposite direction. 
Justin Herbert fails to throw a touchdown pass for the second Ooh, straight two game. Two weeks in a row. Two weeks in a row after what was – did the streak end at 35 or 36? I don't even remember. It was something like that, consecutive touchdowns for Justin Herbert. I don't remember the exact number, but it was somewhere in the mid-30s. Um, I think because I think a lot of a lot of what Oregon is going to do is going to be running the football, I think I think that's what you're going to see mostly. I think that's how they're going to score their points. I think they're going to score on the ground. I don't expect it to be Verdell with three touchdowns, you know, all three offensive touchdowns again. Maybe it will be, but – um, I, I'm expecting this to be a game where uh, uh, where Herbert maybe doesn't have the best passing stats and struggles at times, perhaps. But even if he doesn't struggle, I just think they're going to be running the football mostly in this game. All right, my third pick. Oregon creates three turnovers in this football game. I said that last week against Washington State. That almost came true, I think. Yeah, two-thirds two of the way there. Yeah, they, they had just two interceptions. Uh, I'm not saying three picks. It could be a fumble. Uh, it could be three fumbles. I just think, uh, a, a common theme and also in USC's losses is that their, their opponents are able to create turnovers. I think that carries over tonight, or I should say Saturday night, uh, at USC and, uh, Oregon's defense forces three turnovers and that's a big factor in why, uh, they are able to, to get into this game. Along the same lines, I, I have, we, and we talked about it earlier. I think it's a requirement that Oregon forces some sort of pressure. They got to find a way to just make difficult for, for Keaton Slovis. I have, Oregon has three or more sacks on USC. Um, two, three consecutive games where they haven't gotten there. Uh, Colorado, they had two. They did have a lot of quarterback hurries, but only had one sack against Washington, one sack against Washington State. I think they kind of get back to some stuff, and I think there's some success here. I, I didn't put it in here, but I, I could see Kayvon Thibodeau having Kind of a big day, or or Mace Fluner, or maybe both of them. Just the, these, I said it earlier. The SoCal kids making their first appearance at the at Memorial Coliseum. It, it's a big deal for these kids to play in this environment. You know, a lot of these kids either grew up wanting to play at USC or at least watching games played at USC, and they were big games. USC when the, these kids were, you know, like in elementary school, USC was was a powerhouse. They were really really good, and they lived. You know, these kids lived in that area. Hearing about how great USC was, I think these guys. Are, I think that between Thibodeau and Funa and just this defensive front in general, I think they're going to find some answers this week. After a couple of weeks, it's been pretty tough in terms of getting after the passer. All right, I'm going to go to my fourth one, and uh, I'm going to stick on the defensive side of the football uh, this season for this for this one. And I think Javon Hond and um, Verone McKinley uh, the third, they are kind of in this like battle right now of who can have the team lead for, for interceptions and who can also have the lead for, for the conference going into this week. Holland is tied with uh, two other players, uh, Michael Uno of Colorado, Paulson Adebo of Stanford for four. Uh, they lead the conference together as a trio with four interceptions. Holland has one touchdown return. Uh, the other two do not. And then there's Verone McKinley. He's right behind tied with four, with uh, three other players or in the Pac-12 with four or with three interceptions, uh, so he's one behind Holland. I think one of Holland or McKinley get an interception in this game, and it wouldn't surprise me uh, if both guys grab interceptions uh, for the Oregon defense. My last one, I think Camden Lewis has another three field goal game. I think he's going to make three again. Like I said earlier, I, I think there's going to be some struggles in the red zone, and I think Lewis is going to come through. I, I'm not predicting a game-winning kick. Um, again, although it could be a game where it's so competitive that it does come down to that. Uh, I, I just think we've seen Lewis sort of figure some stuff out. Five straight kicks is, is nothing to sleep at. He obviously hit some humongous kicks in that last game. Oregon is not still 5-0 in Pac-12 play, if not for Camden Lewis's leg. So I, I think we see him. I, I just think there's going to be an uptick, uptick, I should say, from here on out of we're in a spot where Previously, we might have tried to go for it, or maybe we would have punted. But we're going to give Lewis a shot. And, and I don't know what the range is. Cristobal said earlier this week that over 50 yards, Lewis's accuracy has kind of struggled. But when they're 49 and below, he's I think he said he's been at 100% clip in practice in those in that range. So maybe we see a little bit more in like the mid 40 range. Maybe when Oregon gets like the around the you know 28 30 yard line, maybe they say, hey, let's give it this a shot. But uh, I, I'm expecting or predicting, I should say, three made field goals from Camden Lewis. 
All right. Well, we're, we're in similar with my last one with the number three. Uh, for the third straight week, I think Oregon's going to complete a fourth quarter win. Uh, I, I, I just, I envision something playing out in this football game. It, it could be early in the fourth quarter and, and maybe that's the deciding win or it could be late. I don't know. I don't think it's going to be a come from behind victory. I think they're going to be tied at some point in the fourth quarter and the Oregon Ducks are going to score uh, a touchdown. That's the deciding factor in this football game to win the game for a third straight time with a fourth quarter heroic. All right, is it on to me for game prediction? Yes, sir. All right, let me see here. I'm still, I'm still debating back and forth. I think, I think I've come to a conclusion here. So before the season, I, I hope you have because we're we're recording this podcast right now. Is that what we're doing? Oh shoot, I thought we were just having a conversation. I thought this was the pre-show, Matt. Oh man, I I got to figure this out. Uh, I I have I'm, I'm going to say I'm going to pick Oregon to win. Um, before the season, I had USC beating Oregon 32 to 28. It was one of two losses I predicted. Um, I think. And this is similar to what happened with the with that Washington game, which is a game that also before the season I had Oregon losing, and then I changed my pick the week of. I, I, Oregon has played better than I thought they would, and USC has played worse. So it you know makes sense that I would kind of switch course here. Uh, Vegas has the line has kind of dropped in Vegas, so clearly there's some kind of betting coming in on USC, some some money that way. But uh, I have Oregon winning. I, I'm going thirty to twenty eight. Like Matt said, I think it's going to be really close. It's going to come down to some plays in the fourth quarter. Oregon makes enough plays. I'm not predicting a Camden Lewis like game-winning field goal with like two seconds to go again, but maybe it is Camden Lewis kicking one of his three field goals in the final five minutes of the game, and then the Oregon defense goes out and makes a stop. Um, but Oregon wins this game. They go to 6-0, and and they set themselves up with, for a really, really good spot to run the table in conference play because then they go to bye week. And then it's three games that, like we said earlier in the week, very winnable. Arizona, Arizona State, Oregon State. I'm with you. I think this Oregon football team is going to win. Um, I said it just kind of kind of gave it away on my last bold prediction. But I think, look, I think Her- Herbert's heroics are going to grow again. Um, you know, third straight week where Oregon's team comes and, and claims the win in the fourth quarter. I think that's always something that builds hype around a player. Um, I'm having Oregon win this football game 35 to 28. So no field goals by anybody, uh, oh my gosh. in this football game. Um, but I think, like I said, I think Oregon creates some turnovers to get some stops there. I think USC moves the ball pretty well. It would not surprise me one bit if, uh, Keaton Slovis throws for over 300 yards and, you know, their two big guns, Michael Pittman and Tyler Vaughns, both go over 100 yards receiving and each score a touchdown. I think they're that good. Uh, but I think Oregon's defense gets just enough stops. Oregon's offense, uh, wears down the opponent in, in, on that scoring drive that they, they, they get in the fourth quarter to win the football game. And they leave LA with a 35 28 victory, eight and one overall. Uh, and that would put them with a six and an O start in conference play, which is pretty remarkable to consider, uh, if, if that happens. So, uh, I, I'm with you. I think we're both in agreement here. Oregon goes down to LA and, and comes out with a win and looks like the team that might not lose the rest of the way after a bye week. Matt, if, if we, so we're both in agreement here and we think, let, let's just run this hypothetical. Let's talk it out just really quick before we wrap up. So if we, we both think Oregon wins this week. We both then think Oregon will run the table. Do we think Oregon beats more than likely Utah? If Oregon wins this game, it's probably going to be Utah in the conference championship game unless Utah uh, stumbles against Washington, which could happen too. Do you, what is your confidence level of Oregon beating Utah? And then what do you think happens if they do beat Utah? Is it a Rose Bowl? Is it a college football playoff? Kind of put on your Nostradamus cap. What, what are you predicting? Ooh, I think, um, beating Utah is going to be difficult. I, yeah. I, I think there's going to, that will be Oregon's maybe toughest game of the year. I think they're good enough to do it. I like Herbert more than I like Huntley. Um, but Utah's defense is straight up nasty. And I think both of their lines are top two in the, in the conference. I don't know if, Washington, if, I don't know if Oregon's defensive line is the best defensive line in the conference. I, 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 I think you can say that off, offensively, but I don't think you can 
argue that victory uh, for Oregon's defensive line, especially without Gus Cumberlander now. So, um, and they might not even be the second best T line in, in the conference. I don't know, uh, but I, I I would I would pick Oregon, but it would probably be my least confident pick I have all year, even more than than Auburn. Yeah, I'm kind of with you on that. Utah is really kind of scary, and and I'll I'll be curious to see what we see from Utah uh, this weekend against Washington. I think that's going to be a good measuring stick game. Um, I know Washington's record isn't what Utah's or Oregon's is, but as Oregon knows from playing that team, that's a team that's going to be very competitive in that game. And if if Utah just goes out and dominates Washington, I'm going to be like that is that game is going to be really freaking hard to win. But if Utah goes up and loses or wins a really close game, maybe I'll have a little bit more confidence. I think part of it is like if Washington can at least score some points against Utah's defense, like it's remarkable to me that. Washington State just scored 13 points against Utah. Yeah. Uh, watching that Washington State team in person and how good I still think Oregon is defensively, like 13 points is that's a remarkable, remarkable job by Utah. So uh, if if they do the same thing to Washington, I'm gonna be like, oh like that. That's gonna be tough because we just saw Oregon in consecutive weeks um, uh, against Washington and Washington State really have a hard time defensively. So if, if we look up and, and compare the scores and Utah has similar or, or I shouldn't say has significantly better numbers, then I'm going to be like, Eesh. but I do think Oregon has the better offense. I, I think Oregon can, can score some points, but I don't know if that's a game that's going to be a lot of points scored either way. But in terms of like, I, I still think, I really do think if they win out and they win the conference championship game, they're going to be in the college football playoff. I, I'm starting to feel like it just feels like that's kind of, they're kind of that team of destiny that's sort of playing out that way. I just, they're going to need some help as, sure. to get there. And then the, the biggest, I think the biggest issue is, is I have a hard time seeing a one loss SEC team that does not make the conference championship game or say like, Say Georgia, they don't lose the rest of the way. They play an undefeated Alabama in the conference championship game and Georgia wins. Alabama's getting in. Like, that's a fact. Like, they're, they're getting in. And so now you've got two teams there. Let's say Ohio State goes undefeated and let's, let's say Clemson goes undefeated. Oregon's not getting in in that, in that capacity. So Oregon's going to need Oregon's going to need the SEC to have a team go undefeated and win the conference and everybody else have two losses because if there's another one loss team in the SEC, I think that's going to happen, you know, two SEC teams in. And then if that, if that plays out, then you need, you need Clemson to lose. You need Ohio State to not have an undefeated team and just hope that your schedule is, is strong enough. I, I still think they're in the discussion. They are in the discussion without a doubt. But they still are going to need a lot of help to get in. You, th- you think the committee would pick a, an SEC team that that doesn't even play in the conference championship game? I don't know. I, I, that that would be my thing. Would be. I, I, I again, this is where I'm, I just think it's such a silly system where where one conference can have half the representatives and then you'd have two other Power Five conferences without a representative. I think that's. Yeah, I, mean, I I agree. A hundred percent agree. The system is kind of messed up in that capacity. But yeah, like. I look at it and think, look, what if what if LSU loses to to Alabama by three points in a last minute field goal, and they don't win the SEC West, they finish the year eleven and one, or what if it's Alabama in that capacity, and the SEC champion from the West Division or from the East Division comes out and you know they have two losses and they don't and they don't look good, and your decision is. A Pac-12 Oregon team that's 12 and one, and they have one top 10 win, or do you pick an 11 and one SEC West team that lost to the number one seed by three points and has double or triple the amount of top 25 wins that Oregon has? Like I, I just, I just don't think uh, if 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 there's two teams out of the SEC that have one loss, uh, I I just think they're going to get in. And it's it's crappy. It's the way the system works right now, and it's stupid. But I think that's what we've been dealt. And until it changes, Oregon's going to have to get a little get a little help to go their way to to get into the playoff. 
And just one last thought here, and, and maybe I'm just over-obsessing over this, but Alabama's schedule is not better than Oregon's schedule. They play LSU coming up, and that's obviously a big game, and then they finish with Auburn. But outside of that, they only have played two teams with winning records right now, and one of those is Southern Miss. They have wins over a 4-4 and Duke team, a 3-5 and South Carolina team, a 3-5 and Mississippi team, a 3-5 and Tennessee team, a 2-6 and Arkansas team, and an 0-8. New Mexico State team, uh, and then they, they did beat a Texas A team five, who's five and three. So I don't know. And then and on the rest of the schedule, they play Mississippi State, which is three and five, Western Carolina, which is one and seven, and Auburn, which is now six and two. So personally, I, I know I, Alabama's probably going to get whatever they want in this, and they'll probably get in even if they did lose to, you, to LSU. But from just like a total, just looking at the resumes, I don't know if what they've done this year is deserving if they do lose one game. But that's not what this podcast is necessarily about. So we can we can stop the. We can uh, certainly debate that if they get to that point. hundred percent. Yes, absolutely. That'll be a debate for a later date when this is actually concrete and not hypothetical. All right, that's going to do it for us on the Austin Audible's podcast. Thanks for listening. Uh, again, reminder: if you are a subscriber to, to DuckTerritory.com, you can access uh, CBS's streaming platform, CBS All Access, for free. It's no additional costs now included. In your 24-7 sports VIP membership, uh, you can watch all your favorite shows on demand along with exclusive access to your favorite 24-7 sports team site and experts. Stream over 10,000 episodes, all access originals, and live TV, including NFL on CBS, SEC Game of the Week. And you can enjoy the CBS all-access platform commercial-free for $99.99 uh, value for the lifetime of your 24-7 Sports VIP membership. So you can sign up today for $1 at CBS or at, at 24-7 Sports for your first month. $1 is all it's going to take for your first month. And then access CBS All Access, a streaming account, and watch all the shows. You can watch Star Trek. You can watch the NFL. You can watch The Good Fight. You can watch SWAT, Criminal Minds, 60 Minutes, Blue Bloods, all of that. All of that is on CBS All Access. Uh, and you can get that for free by subscribing to DuckTerritory.com for $1. So I highly encourage you guys, go check us out, go subscribe, get in on onto that CBS All Access plan, uh, and we will talk to you after Oregon takes on the USC Trojans Friday night, 5 o'clock kick. Uh, for Eric Scopo and myself, Matt Prame, thanks for listening. Adios, amigos.